name is Farah Osbeck, and welcome to Military Law Matters, the podcast that gives you insight into military law so you know your rights and you don't become a victim of injustice. Today, we'll be talking to Hugh Spires. He was a former legal advisor to the Air Force Disability Board, and he has extensive experience in the disability evaluation system. You will definitely want to listen to this episode if you're in the process of undergoing a disability evaluation or if you know you will be. Good afternoon, Hugh. Glad you could join us today on Military Law Matters, the podcast that serves the best listeners in the world, members and former members of the United States Armed Forces. How are you doing, Hugh? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me um, and let me participate in the um, in the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for coming on the show, Hugh. Hugh, um, it is our job to arm our listeners with knowledge so they don't become a victim of injustice. And I know that you are ready to arm our listeners with important information today. Today, Hugh Spires will walk us through the disability evaluation system in the armed forces. This is a very complex and important topic, and Hugh is certainly an expert in this area. You know, I know Hugh, we worked together actually in the United States Air Force. Uh, we were both JAGs at the same time in uh, in D.C., actually uh, in Maryland. Uh, Hugh was a Air Force attorney defending medical malpractice claims against the U.S. Air Force. And I know, you know, he has an expertise in disability evaluation system because he not only was the legal advisor to the Air Force Surgeon General's office, but he was also worked at the Air Force Disability Board in San Antonio, Texas. So I would love for Hugh to share his expertise with our listeners because there's a lot of people who are undergoing, you know, the disability evaluation system. So let me just tell you a little bit more about Hugh. Um, Hugh Spires is currently the corporate counsel for United Biologics, LLC, a San Antonio, Texas-based healthcare services company that partners with physicians and hospitals nationwide. Uh, he's worked extensively in health and medical law for over 20 years, and he's written and lectured on the Air Force Disability Evaluation System. Hugh Spires retired from the Air Force Judge Advocate General Corps, where he reserved as both the senior attorney to two military installations and the second largest medical center in the United States Air Force. He was also, as I said, legal advisor to the Air Force General, General, uh, Surgeon General's Office and the Air Force Disability Board. After retiring from the military, he served as a litigation attorney for the Texas Medical Board before uh, beginning his work at his current position. He was also selected by his peers as one of the best San Antonio lawyers in the areas of corporate law and health law for Scene Magazine in 2017. So quite an extensive, very impressive bio, Hugh. And uh, thank you, th thanks again for helping us. And we're gonna we're in for a treat because he's gonna tell us all the details of what you need to go. When, if you're going through the disability system. So, Hugh, let's start from the beginning. Let's take a military member, let's say a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force, who develops a back injury. This person has a back injury, and he is no longer able to do his job. What is the first thing that happens at, as it pertains to the disability evaluation system? Okay, I'm going to try to explain this in, um, in simple everyday terms, because it is a very complicated and complex process. But the first thing that should happen is the staff sergeant should go to the physician and the physician will draft what they call a line of duty determination, a LOD, if he cannot perform his duties uh, for more than 24 hours. And then the physician uh, has to make a few decisions regarding the injury. For example, the physician is going to have to determine whether the medical condition is what they call inconsistent with retention standards or if it's going to keep that staff sergeant from deploying. The physician also has to decide whether the condition is going to improve within 12 months so that staff sergeant can um, perform the duties of his office grading rank. Now, these, that's, these are very important terms. 12 months is an important time period, and 
duties duties of his office grade and rank are very important as well. And they're also going to look see if it impacts his um, ability to deploy to the field. So now if the physician believes that the staff sergeant will not be able to perform his duties or deploy within 12 months or after, excuse me, after 12 months, then the physicians can start what they call the pre-IDAS process. Now IDAS is I-D-E-S and it stands for Integrated Disability Evaluation System. Okay. A lot of acronyms in the Air Force. So, um, Hugh, just to, so if it, let's say it, they, the physician believes it will last less than 12 months, the rehabilitation process to, to actually perform duties. What happens at that point? Well, at that point, he wouldn't have to go through the disability system um, if they believe it's going to resolve and he's going to be able to go back to his duties within 12 months. But if it's a condition that the that has a, um, a a predictable process that the doctor knows is only going to get worse, um, they don't have to wait the full twelve months either. So nope. usually it's just a matter of line of duty determination. You know, take a few um, months off, a weeks off, versus going through a disability process. Okay. Okay. Great. So so what's now? What's the next step with this IDS system? Okay, so as, as I mentioned, there's like what they call a pre-IDS process, and that's two parts. So you're not actually in the disability system yet, but this is a prelude to it. And they kind of have this two-step process just to ensure that they don't inundate the disability process with you know, members who really shouldn't be there. So this two-step pre-IDS process, if you will, um, it starts one with the um, the, another acronym is called a DAWG, D-A-W-G, which is, stands for a Deployment Action Working Group. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the military treatment facility. So this DAWG, if you will, is a group, and they take a deeper look at that medical condition to see if it really has an impact on that military member's ability to perform their duties. And so the DAWG is going to either recommend a medical evaluation board, uh, MEB, or they... Um, or they're going to return the, the staff sergeant, in this case, to duties if they think that um, he's going to get better within 12 months. And so that's the first step of the pre-IDS process. And then the second step is AFPC's involvement. So if that dog determines uh, that this member cannot deploy, or it's going to take longer than 12 months, then the, the dog sends it to the AFPC acronym D-P-A-N-M. I just refer to it as the medical retention branch. And so anyway, this medical retention branch, they're going to take another look at it and they're going to perform a another acronym, IRILO, an initial review in lieu of an MEB. So they're going to, they're kind of the gatekeeper, if you will. The medical retention branch is the gatekeeper to determine whether you're actually going to enter the disability process or not. And at, during this AFPC um, review, this IRILO, they're going to look at the narrative summary written by the physician. They'll look at the line of duty. The military member's commander is going to write a, a letter about how the medical condition impacts this military member's um, ability to perform his duties. Um, and they're going to determine whether, you know, he's going to get better within a year, um, if he imposes a, a safety risk to himself or others. Um or is it just going to be too much for the Air Force to take care of this person, um, you know, physically um, and financially? So anyway, the DPANM, if you will, this medical retention section, um, they have the final authority whether the person goes to the next step of the disability process or they just return to duty. 
Okay, Hugh, and I know we've been talking a lot of, and, and Hugh's been using a lot of Air Force terms. That's because he worked for the Air Force active duty and also um, later. Um, no, actually, you didn't work as a civilian. You were active duty, correct? I was, yeah. Yes, the whole time you were active duty. I don't know, I'm thinking civilian. But Hugh, so, you know, it's a little bit, it's probably similar in all the services, I would think, different acronyms, but the process is, is probably, because our listeners are not only Air Force, the listeners from all services, but I would think the process is fairly similar. Do you have any idea about that? Uh, yeah, I can speak to it a little bit. The, um, you know, we're all governed by the same Department of Defense instruction and the Department of Defense manual that kind of governs all the branches, but each branch will have a little bit of different. For example, the Air Force has the Air Force instructions, the Army has the Army regulations, then you have the Navy Marines, and they all do the pre-IDS process a little different. Um, they also have different uh, retention standards. For example, um, you know, the, to be uh, uh, work on a tank may require a certain physical stamina or standard or capability that you may not necessarily have for someone in the Air Force. So they each have their own medical retention standards. So there are some nuances um, that are different. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And as you were talking about the duties, you said it's important, the duties of his office. Uh, so that could be whether Air Force, Army, Marine Corps. Okay, great. Well, thanks for that explanation. So so now we're in the MEB process, the Medical Evaluation Board. Can you walk us through what, what's now happening to the staff sergeant that's now undergoing the MEB? Sure. So now we're moving up to the, like I said, we're just continuing the, uh, the chronology here because it kind of makes it easier to understand, at least in my head. I have to kind of walk through it. So you have the medical evaluation board at this point, and it's occurring, of course, after the physician has written the LOD, the line of duty. Um, and again, other services may refer to that as another acronym. So the physician has written that. Um, the case has been referred to this um, deployment action working group. This is what the Air Force calls it. And then it's referred to the Air Force Personnel Center. This is where our medical retention branch, the gatekeepers, if you will, determine whether you enter into the IDES process. So if the AFPC medical retention branch decides, they're going to have to decide whether it goes to MEB. And if they do, they send the case to a, um, a PEBLO. And I believe all the services call it a PEBLO, a P-E-B-L-O. This is a physical evaluation board liaison officer. Now, although the duties may differ just a little bit among the branches, they all have the, the, the same general task. And their job is to be the liaison with the military member to help them understand the process. They'll notify the member of the MEB. Um, and this MEB is going to, when they when it gets sent to the MEB or the case is referred to the MEB, it causes four things basically to happen. The physician's narrative summary report is going to be sent to the MEB department or group. The military member's commander's letter is going to be sent there. The military member can submit a personal statement about his condition. But most important, what's going to happen at this MEB stage is this military member is going to be sent to the VA for a medical examination. And this medical examination is, is the key because it's going to serve as a documentation of all your medical conditions. And this is going to be used in both the disability process as well as your post-separation um, disability process, any any benefits you may receive from the, the VA. That way you only have one uh, one examination. Okay. So actually you just answered the question I was thinking of is, 
So this is the the next examination. It, it's a it's one exam. It's not a second opinion for the Air Force or for the service provider, correct? Right. You're correct. Yes. Now years ago they used to have the Air Force would do its own, and then the then the VA would do its own after you left the Air Force or excuse me left the service. But now to save time, I guess, and resources, you have one physical exam, and it serves as both your you know your service disability process as well as your post service. VA disability process. So, and and it's not a not an exam as you're getting treatment, but the exam is they're going to document every single medical condition you have um, and put it on file. Make sure it's there. Okay. So, what happens after you have your VA uh, physician exam? Okay. So then it's then all those documents are sent to this MEB and the MEB, the Medical Evaluation Board. Um, you're going to have three, usually three physicians who will be on this board, and they're physicians that are at the medical treatment treatment facility that the um, where the member receives his treatment. So that's that's who's going to meet um, in the San Antonio area. We have ours um, for the Air Forces down at Lackland, and so these these providers, these physicians, will they have privileges to work at the hospital? So they're not just any physician. But they're going to sit down, they're going to look at all those documentation we just discussed, and they can either, one, return the member to duty, or they can refer the, the member to continue through the disability process, and that means referring them to the Informal Physical Evaluation Board, um, and we we'll call it um, IPEB, again, another acronym. Okay. Yeah, we need to, you need to maybe put together a little a gloss or a little book uh, on all the acronyms for the just the idea, uh, the uh, disability evaluation system. There must be quite a bit that you're, you're familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have more than army maybe on this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So now we're at, I'm sorry. Now I'm, I lost track. So we're, uh, okay. Well, so it's now at the, the, the physicians have reviewed it, right? Yep. And they can recommend a return to duty or send them along the way to the informal evaluation board. Um, <laughs> Now, at this stage, the, the, the military member is going to be called back in by the peplons, and they're told, here's what the MEB decided, here's the findings, and then they give the, um, for in this case, the staff sergeant, he'll have a couple options. He can ask um, for another physician to review his medical records and medical review to make sure that the VA actually did cover all his medical condition and didn't leave something out. So he can do that, or the um, physician can choose to rebut um, the VA findings. So maybe the VA um, didn't uh, didn't identify one of his medical conditions they thought the military man believes is in his um, records, or maybe they didn't identify it as being as severe as he thinks it should have been. So he has a chance to either get another physician to look at it, to help him identify all the medical conditions, or to rebut what was found. So so, Hugh, at this point when this staff sergeant is trying to rebut different findings, you know, sometimes... It depends on the person, I guess. So there, I know there are certain people who want to fight the discharge because they're dying to continue to serve their country, and they're like, no, I can do it. Sometimes people might be, well, no, I, yeah, I really do have these injuries, and they're trying to maybe get a retirement. But throughout this process, who who is helping this um, staff sergeant? Is there any military member assigned other than the Pueblo who is – more, it sounds like a liaison for just the process, but not so much substantively. Is there someone assigned to help that staff sergeant, like a lawyer? There is, exactly. Um, and in the Air Force, of course, uh, is what I'm familiar with, we have the Office of Airmen's Council, again, OAC. 
and they're down in um they're in Randolph Air Force Base, Joint Base Randolph in San Antonio. And uh, regardless of whether where the Air Force members assigned, they can always contact uh, that organization anytime in the process and ask them for guidance and help and and you know how it works and and, and any questions they have. But they're going to help them for free, and they're actually going to be able to represent you at the hearing when you get to stand before the board if you choose to do so. Now, other services will have a similar um, organization that provides free legal advice to them as well. So there is someone out there. Just reach out. And, and again, the Pueblo at your base can tell you who that is. Because again, they're your liaison and they can put you in contact with the correct people. Okay. Is the OAC, are, they're not defense counsel, right? They're pretty much counsel for the these our military members undergoing the, the, the disability evaluation process, That's correct? correct? It's not okay. the, it's not the same as the Area Defense Council. It's not the same as the criminal defense attorneys. These are just disability attorneys that represent the military members. And is that they, all they do? It's not an additional duty? Nope, that's all they do, full time. Okay. Wow. Okay. And I, I really didn't, uh, you know, work with uh, them. So, I mean, I had heard about it. So that's great. Um, I learned something new here. So now we're at which step you okay. walk us well, through here? We just we're. we're Finishing up the MEB, um, which takes probably about 100 days just to go through the MEB. And it's hard to tell because, you know, the VA has a has part of the process, and so we really can't tell how long it's going to take the, the VA to do their part. But at least in the Air Force, it takes about 100 days. So if the MEB does not return the military member to duty, they refer them to the Informal Physical Evaluation Board. So that would be the next step. Okay. Now we're at the – yeah, the informal. And then um – so what happens at that point? Okay. So at the IPEB, if you will, the um, the it, it's not a board as you would think. It's it's not people sitting around a table talking about your case. I mean, it, 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 so it's kind of a misnomer. There are at least two members um, in the grade of major or a civilian equivalent assigned to each case, and they're going to look at look at your records, look at all the documentation. Not just the medical records, but again, your commander's letter, how it impacts your duties, your personal statement, and so forth. So and now if there's a split decision, when they vote, um, they'll have to assign a third person to be a, a, to decide the, which way it's going to be. But their role is to determine, um, uh, I guess, if you're fit or unfit is the way to describe it. So the military member is not present. Um, they're going to determine whether a military member is fit to um, to perform um, their duties of their office grade and rank. Uh, they're going to categorize all your medical conditions, regardless of what you have, whether it's a ingrown toenail to to you know a back injury. They're going to categorize all of them as either unfitting or not unfitting, and um, they're going to write this on a form because uh, the military is only going to compensate for the conditions that are unfit to for that make you unfit to perform your military duties um, that were in line of duty. But the VA, on the other hand, they're going to pay you for all conditions that are service-connected, not, okay. not just the career ending. So they do divide these up, because they're, but we're only interested in this, you know, in this process at this time is just the unfitting one. Okay. Hugh, actually, can I, just to backtrack, when you're talking about the term fit or unfit, can you just, what what is the definition of fit for duty? What, is there like a technical definition for that? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a term of art, if you will. The um, it basically means that a, a member can perform the duties of their office, rank, and grade 
and can deploy to field conditions. Um, the unfitting conditions are listed in um, medical standards directory, and that's a very hard document to find. I mean, you can go on, on the internet and try to find it that way. In the Air Force, we have it in Air Force Instruction 48123. Um, again, the Pueblo, I'm sure, can help you find these things, but unfitting would be things such as an organ failure that requires a transplant, a terminal illness, a seizure disorder, AIDS, cancer, insulin-dependent diabetes, those things are considered unfitting. Um, if you can't travel by military air for some kind of medical reasons or you're depending on some type of medication that requires, you know, frequent clinical monitoring, those things are all unfitting and that, that will definitely get you in a disability process and may, may be, uh, you may be found unfit. But I want to mention that that um, there's a term called unsuiting, and unsuiting, unfitting gets confused. Now, unsuiting, there are conditions that they don't meet the definition of disability, and they do not qualify for the disability processing. Um, for example, sleepwalking, ADD or ADHD, and any personality disorders, those are all unsuiting, and you don't go th through the disability process for that. You go through an administrative separation process. So, there's okay. no money in that process. I see. So you're separated. I'm assuming with a usually an honorable separate honorable discharge characterization, unless there's some misconduct along with that. But uh, right. okay, yeah, I rem know that from the discharge regulation. So regarding the you know fitness, how does that does it vary? I mean, there's some leeway depending on what job you do. So if you have a back injury and work at the flight line you know, maybe it's looked at one way, could it, versus you work in an office, for example, you're a paralegal, um, and you don't have to really lift things, you're working at a desk, I mean, so how does the Air Force or the services look at that? Oh, sure, yeah, definitely your career field makes a difference, um, and you'll hear people trying to cross-train and so forth, uh, I'll take give you an example, um, a security forces member uh, um, may, be, may be required to take medication that prevents him from carrying a weapon, or he has a medical condition that keeps him from maybe standing for a long period of time. But his commander, as I mentioned earlier, writes a letter about how it impacts his duties. And the commander could say, hey, he may not be able to carry a weapon, but I still want this security forces member to work in the visitor center. Well, another example would be a military member uh, amputates part of his thumb um, or any part. And now to some career fields, it definitely may, um, it could be unfitting. You have to have all your fingers or digits to do a per certain procedure or duty. But if you're just an administrative troop, you don't need all your digits maybe. So there are, it all de depends on your, um, on your career field. And I think the services will also make a big difference as well. Okay. And it probably depends, as we said before, whether the member is trying to fight to stay in. Because if someone said, oh, no, I'm taking medication, I can longer be a security force member. But if he, you know, is telling his commander, you know, I really want to stay in, I love serving in the Air Force. You know, that commander, I would think if he's a good troop, he or she is a good troop, is going to try to find a way to allow this member to continue to serve his country, whether it's working, you know, issuing passes at the visitors, just like you said. So, you know, I, I would think there's some leeway against that, depending on the member's duty performance, what the commander, his supervisory chain thinks of him. Is is that true or am I missing something? No, you're, you're exactly right. Um, uh, there's commanders in career fields that they have a shortage of people or they... Uh, there are a group that deploys a lot, um, and so they need all the people they can can get. And so maybe they have plenty plenty of people to deploy, but they don't have enough people to stay back and and do the um, 
do the foundational work. So absolutely, if the commander likes you, you're a good troop, you work hard, um, you can definitely get a strong recommendation from the commander that this is not going to impact his ability to keep you, um, you know, employed. Yeah. So the takeaway, I guess, Hugh, for the listeners is if you are trying to fight this and want to stay in, you really need to verbalize that. Talk to your supervisory chain, your first sergeant, you know, commander of Express that you will do anything. I mean, I've seen that. I used to work at the personnel council, and I do remember we saw these cases that came up for review, and that's why I remember where the commander statement was important if they just raved about the member and said, you know, he could do it or she could do it, and then the member is, you know, just you know, pleading to stay in, it really did make a difference. Of course, if they could objectively also fulfill the duties, it wasn't just like, you know, we like him and we want him to stay in. There had to be, you know, it had to pass the the tests there. So, okay. So thanks for uh, going over that. I wanted to have you talk about the unfit, et cetera. And we, we did talk about the the Peblo and the representative, you explained that. So I know with all these boards, I mean, you, I don't, you don't have to go into detail, but are there any time limits that the members need to be aware of in terms of submitting matters for, at, during every step of the process? Uh, there are a few, and, and they're very important that you do not miss them. Um, so as again, you need to know exactly what the process is, and you can do that by learning from your Peblo and talking to the, the your defense counsels um, in this matter. For example, after you receive the, the medical evaluation board decision, uh, you have three duty days to decide whether to request an impartial review or rebuttal. Um, at least that's the way it's in the Air Force. Again, watch for your um, watch for your service specific um, regulations and make sure it's not different there. Um, when you receive your informal physical evaluation board decision, you have 10 days. That's all you get is 10 days to notify your Peblo that you want to rebut the findings and you want to go to the formal physical physical evaluation board. So those are very important dates. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to give up your rights before you've had a chance to um, present your case. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming there might be, depending on situations, ways to get an extension as well, I, w- I would think. I don't know. Yeah, there are. There are ways to get extension, but you want to be able to ask for that beforehand as opposed to missing your deadline and, and asking for, you know, mercy there. True, true, true. Yeah. So you have to keep on top of this. This is a very important thing, a matter that's going to affect, you know, the rest of your life. So, so after the, and I know you started going into the formal, um, physical evaluation board, but after, so is there anything else we can talk about before it? And then after, uh, that board process where it goes to next, can you walk us down the path as, sure. as the expert? Yeah, well, sure. And I know we were talking about the informal physical evaluation board a minute ago. Um, mm-hmm. the, um, I believe we started on, didn't we start on that? We did. I know. Okay. There's just so many facets to this. So, Actually, yes, you, you had because I wanted to backtrack. Okay. Um, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, let me see. So, I told you that they're going to divide it in fitting and unfitting. So, after they divide it, after they divide the case in fit, the, the informal board, uh, find your medical conditions, uh, fitting and unfitting, um, based on your, your VA medical exam. They're going to send your case, I guess, if you will, to, um, electronically to the VA again. And the VA is going to look at that, and they're going to have to look at your medical condition, and, and they're going to plug in the, the code for each condition and what percentage of disability each condition is. So what they're going to use is called a Veterans Affairs Schedule for Rating Disabilities. Um, and... You can also find it. If you can't find it online, you can go. Um, they're set by Congress. 
I found I Googled it the other day and it was 38 CFR, which is Code of Federal Regulations, Book C. And it's called Schedule of Rating. So you can list it lists MOOC just lots and lots and lots of um, medical conditions and it'll have percentage of each one. So um, can't you know you can't bend over more than 30 30 degrees is going to give you a, say a 10% disability rating. It's all written out there. So anyway, the, the VA is the one that plugs in the numbers and the type of disability, I guess, if you will, the code. And then they send it back to the informal evaluation board. And um, and they take that information and they're just going to look at the um, unfitting portion and they're going to calculate it up. And, and they'll tell you, they're going to see what kind of disability rating you have. Um, as, and although the military member is not there at the informal board, they are given the form that has the rationale of the board's decision. It tells them the rating and, the, and each injury they have that they're getting um, rated on. And then that's when the military member has 10 days to decide to appeal to the formal board if they don't like what the percentage and the disability rating was at that point. Okay. So if the member is happy with the rating or happy with the result, they don't have to appeal. But if, if they're unhappy and do not believe it's correct, so this staff sergeant, let's say we're talking about, then can it now appeal to the formal physical evaluation board. That's right. And there was a study that came out um, not long ago that, that showed that um, 70% of the cases when it reached the formal board did not change the percentage. Um, but 25% did um, raise the percentage. So the, F, the formal board has raised it 25% of the time, giving you a higher increase in disability. Uh, but for the most part, it doesn't change. But okay. Again, but you don't want, again, you have a right. There's a federal statute that says no person shall be retired or separated from the um, from the military for a physical disability without, um, you know, a fair and impartial hearing if they demand it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about this FPEB now. Sure. <clears throat> okay. So at this point, the um, this is the time, the only time that the military member has the right to stand in front of a group of people and argue their case. They have a, a right to um, be represented by counsel. They can hire their own attorney or they can use one for free offered by the military. And these guys are, they're dedicated to their job. I mean, I've, at least the Air Force guys are for sure. Really great people. It's, it's not an adversarial proceeding. It's administrative in nature. And the reason I say that is there's no government representative standing in the hearing room opposing what the military member says. So now some of the um, the um, I quote defense counsels they take these they take these cases very seriously and they treat it as if it's adversarial um, because they're fighting hard for their clients. So I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. These hearings are held to kind of let you know they're also an administrative nature. They're held in a conference room, at least the one in the Air Force is. So you have three members on the board, and they're sitting at the at the front of the room at a, at a table, if you will. The president should be a colonel. Uh, there should be a medical officer and a line officer. Um, then you have the military member and his attorney across the room. And it's all being um, audio tape recorded. Um, the military member can question the board members to see if anybody's prejudiced or biased. They call it board dire. Um, and then the president, if they, since they don't have a government representative in the hearing, 
if the board has any questions, legal questions, they can reach back and contact their legal counsel. And that's what my role was. Um, I was going to ask, that was your job, right? When you, yeah, that was yeah. what you did for the Air Force. Okay. Right. And the Air Force only has one disability board. The Army has boards spread out across the nation. I'm not sure about the other ones, but the Air Force, we only have one. And we did over 5,500 hearings a year. So, wow, 5,500. That is a why, lot of boards. Is, and this is all in San Antonio, Texas? It's all in San Antonio, Texas. So the member goes TDY then? They send him or her TDY to the board? That's right. The um, the member's unit, back wherever they're from, their unit will, will um, create the travel orders and make sure they arrive um, at least one day prior to the hearing. Um, and because the majority of these cases are prepared by the member and his attorney by phone and email ahead of time. So they're already mm -hmm. working it. But he does get a chance to come in the day before, sit down with his attorney. The attorney is going to submit their exhibits and their position and all that prior to the hearing. Um, and so, um, so so, when they go in the day of the hearing, they, the board's already familiar with their case. It's not the first time they're seeing these documents because they've had time to look at it because you've already submitted your medical records and your exhibits. Now, I'll tell you, some people think that the, the physical evaluation board is a medical board, but it's not. Uh, they cannot change the medical diagnosis. What's in your medical record or determined by the VA is your medical diagnosis, and that can't be changed. The board has no authority to change that diagnosis, but they can change your percentage of disability. For example, this back injury by the staff sergeant, <clears throat> how severe is it? You know, the maybe the informed board said it was 10%. But um, the, the rating may have given it a range, 10 to 30 in the, in the regulation, and maybe the form board thinks it should be more of a 30 rating. So there is room to go up on these issues. Um, what I've seen, and, and I think it's a disservice, is sometimes I'll see um, civilian counsel will go in there and they'll argue, for example, that the military member does not have a personality disorder or some type of unsuiting disorder like we talked about earlier, because those things are not even considered. Whether you have ADHD or personality disorder, that's not even relevant in this type of hearing. So what it's best to do is go in there and argue that you can still perform your duties and how you can do it. And so therefore you should stay in. Or if you're wanting to get out, you should argue something, something like, um, this is how serious my injury is. I don't think you all appreciate it. This is what I can do, what I can't do, um, and, and so forth. So those are your, kind of your options at the formal board. Okay. So what what can the board do then? You said they can't um, change the diagnosis, but what, what what can they do? What are their options? Sure. They can return you to duty. Um, they can permanently retire you if you have at least a 30% disability, regardless of how many years you have in. If you have So 30% is the key number if you want to be retired. <laughs> or, or if you have 20 years of active service, uh, you can be retired regardless of the disability rating. If you have... Um, so the other one is they can grant a, a temporary disability retirement and what that they call it TDRL. And that means the member has at least a 30% disability rating and the, um, the physical condition is unstable. I, I give an example that's mostly uses the PTSD. They call it it's an unstable condition. So they won't permanently retire you, at least not in the Air Force. So what happens is that the military member is sent home. He's given at least 50% uh, a rating for six months and then he'll start going to the doctor every 18 months for exams and he'll do that for five years until the condition stabilizes. Um, and, and they do that 
for a couple of reasons. One, they don't want you to um, end up with being worse than what you were when you started. And maybe they gave you a, a low percentage rating at first, but now your condition is worse because when they gave you the rating, it was unstable. So they want you to be want it to be stable. So that's one option, TDRL. And the other option would be a separation with a disability severance or without severance. So if they have a disability rating of, say, less than 30 percent or less than 20 years of active service, they'll receive a severance pay, which is like a lump sum. Okay. Um, Hugh, going back to the TDRL, so what status is this <coughs> member when they're on TDRL? Are they <laughs> active duty still? Uh, they don't report. They're at home. They're not. They're not reporting to duty. Not reporting to to um, work. They're they're at home. Um, there are some, and I, I honest with you, I cannot remember all the um, jurisdictional issues involved with TDRL, but there are some. Um, and you're going to get tested. You're going to go to the medical examination. Um, so I think if you get hurt while you're on TDRL. It may not be in the line of duty, those type of things. Okay. So it's very important. But no, you don't report to work. You're not doing anything of that nature. Okay. Okay, great. So then, um, so if the member told us the options, they can either be retired, TDRL, or separated with a severance pay, um, which is a lump sum. So what's the next step? Is there any other step that comes next? Sure. And, th and that's the, um, in the Air Force, it's the Secretary of Air Force Personnel Council. Um, and every service is going to have that top cover at top level of appeal there. Um, in the Air Force, we have five members, um, usually one or two going to be in the medical corps. It's a de novo review, so they're going to review the case as if it's the first time they've ever seen it. The member's not present, but they have a lot of authority, a lot of authority. They can change the findings and dispositions and so forth. But again, you have to make sure you appeal um, in a timely manner to SAF, we call it SAF PC, uh, within 10 days um, of receiving your um, the findings of the formal board. Okay, so you could, yeah, you can at that point change, you're saying the find the findings and disposition, but they can't, can, can they change the diagnosis though? No, again, they can't change the, they cannot change the diagnosis because they're not, quote, medical board. Mm-hmm. But they can change the findings and the disposition. So they could find you fit, they can raise the disability, uh, they could do a variety of things. Okay. Okay. Great. Wow. That was uh, what what an overview. Uh, you definitely are an expert in this area. So I know these boards take a long time. I mean, really, I, I just uh, as a credit to the Air Force and all the services, they really do, I think, try to go through the process and make sure every military member goes through all the steps and, you know, get due process and get examine to make sure they're either okay or if they're not, you know, get the disability or separation pay. So, you know, and, and when we do this, there's a lot, it takes a long time. Is there some time limit for these boards and on when they have to finish all these levels of review? Uh, oh, yes. And, and congrat, and there's a lot of congressional overview of the procedure as well. Um, uh, Department of Defense, they, they're the ones that set the timeline. They give us, I believe it's the MEBs, a hundred calendar days. The informal and formal board combined is 120 days. And then in the Air Force, we have to discharge a person, <coughs> excuse me, uh, within 45 days of the formal findings, the formal board's findings. So it's a total of 260 days that Congress gives us to process the whole disability. And I can tell you when I was the um, Air Force Disability Board legal advisor from 2013 to 2015, uh, we used to have quarter, quarterly Skype meetings with the Secretary of the Air Force himself 
Um, and we had to explain what we were doing to improve our metrics while we were taking so long because we were exceeding the, the 260 days. So we were always trying to look for process improvement um, because they don't want the process to lay out. So that's why I said that the timelines, the deadlines for the members are very important because, and again, we have 5,500 cases. There's a lot of people to process through. So staying on, on, on time is very important for everybody involved. Okay. So, um, you know, just to kind of get towards the end of this now, you talked about, I guess, someone who's going to go through this entire system, a member who's got a medical condition, I know you emphasize, you know, they need to talk to, they should recommend, actually talk to the lawyers, you say, at the OIC, correct, at Randolph Air Force Base? That's correct. Okay. Is there... What would you, just based on, you saw lots, I mean, I'd say thousands, I'm sure, of these cases. What, for someone who might be listening, whether they're Air Force or Army, it doesn't matter, what is like a practical, critical tip you would give them as for it to be successful? When I say successful, well, if they want to stay in to try to be successful and continue to serve, or if they want to try to get a retirement or get what's, you know, what's due to them based on their injury, what, what's some practical tips or a tip you might advise this person? Right, sure. Um, I would say learn the process as much as you can about the process. Talk to your Pueblo at your base. Find out how this works, what the stages are, um, because there are so many regulations applied. That will give you some comfort of where you are and why it's taking so long, because it's going to take at least a year to go through the process. Um, <clears throat> make sure all your medical conditions are documented in your medical records. You know, some people may... Um, go outside the military to get treatment, and they just never um, had those records added to their military treatment. You need to have it in your military records because that's what's going to determine whether you're dis disabled uh, for this process, and they're going to um, uh, determine whether it's in the line of duty. So make sure everything's documented in your um, in your medical records. Okay, good advice. If because if it's not documented, these the individuals who look at you know at during the boards, they look, they're not going to see what's not there. So that's good advice for someone going through, you know, this disability evaluation system or someone facing criminal, it's, it's all the same. And I think, you know, I don't know if we discussed it, but even the people on TR, TDRL, while they're undergoing that, if they, you know, are still advocating that they have some condition, they need to continue, I would think, right, seeing a, a physician to continue to document their condition if it's getting worse or better, et cetera. Absolutely, and, and and there's consequences if you don't. You'll lose your dis, you'll lose your temporary disability pay if you're not following the rules. But absolutely, you want to get it documented because again, the VA is going to judge you or rate you, if you will, by how severe your condition is. But they only go by what's in your medical records. Okay, okay. So you talked about the staff personnel council, and I know um, just because that's part of my practice, and I, I specifically don't really handle the medical cases, but I guess if the member's still unhappy with the final result at the Secretary of Air Force level, they can go to the Board for Correction of Military Records for your for the one person's service, and that entity also has the purview to review records and see if there's error or injustice. Um, I don't know if you ever dealt with them, but I guess that's the next level level of review before they can actually go to court. What's the, what court can they go to if they aren't happy with the BCMR process? Sure. Um, yes, I definitely work with the Air Force Board of Military Corrections and reviewing their cases and their, their inquiries, answering their inquiries, I should say. But if you're not happy with that, you can go to the federal court of claims. Um, 
Not everyone does, but you definitely have the right um, to do so if you choose. Okay, great. Wow, Hugh, I am so glad, um, you know, I connected with you and it was so nice to chat with you. I remember our fun days over at Andrews Air Force Base when we were at JACC. And thank you so much for going through the detail and walking us all through the entire disability evaluation system. It was just an excellent overview. And I'm sure our listeners have a better understanding of the process, what it entails. And since this is a recording, you know, our listeners can listen to it several times if they've missed several uh, parts of the, the process. So um, thank you again, and, and hopefully maybe we'll co- connect again and talk about another topic. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with our military communi- community, Hugh. Thanks, and thanks for inviting me to participate in the podcast. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you want to learn more about military law topics or you are armed with knowledge, subscribe to my podcast, head over to our website, militarylawmatters.com. And if you have a problem I can help you with, or if there are topics you'd like to learn more about, send me an email at info at militarylawmatters.com. And if you know someone who this podcast may help, please share it with them. The takeaway today is to make sure your medical conditions are documented in your medical records and be sure to get the help you need. There are attorneys who can help you through this process. Don't give up your rights. Get the help you need and deserve. You served your nation and you deserve the benefits that you're entitled to. Until next week, stay well and never ever give up because there is always hope. (laughs) 